Last time I spoke, with the very beginning of the term, now we're going to close the term with me up here, but I remember um, asking you to take off your shoes to remember that we're walking holy ground. Afterwards, Mark explained to me that it's cold, which makes it memorable, but nonetheless, uh, we won't do that now as it's getting colder this time. Uh, but this time, what I'd like you to do is just sort of relax back and think about this Almighty God. The question I've got is, do you feel a sense of awe for the Almighty? Do you have an understanding of who this Creator is? Do you have an understanding of the love He has for us? Do we understand the war, the battle that is going on around us, and how we're privileged to be a little part of that. If you feel a sense of awe, R.T. Kendall in Holy Fire would say, that is the work of the Holy Spirit. He is bringing your soul to life. He is bringing healing to you in your very soul. Today, uh, we... Uh, we walk where apparently angels and preachers fear to tread because I wasn't supposed to speak today, and I tried. I think in the end I invited five people. When I sent the last invitation, I kind of said, okay, Lord, if we get a no on this one, and he was a great speaker, guy from uh, Center Street, uh, if we get a no on this one, then I'll um, you know, stand in that spot, and, uh, and I got a no within a day. So it was like, okay, I think God's kind of tagging me for this spot October 18. And then I looked through the list of the names of God that had not been tagged already. So 11 had been taken, and there were another 10 or so left. And there among them was Jehovah Rapha. And I remember A.J. Rook, Nathan Rook's wife, saying, I'd like to hear someone speak on Jehovah Rapha. Well, yeah, all the other pre guys, all the other women, they said, walk on by. That one's a little too dangerous. So, you know, I'll step into that space and see what happens here. Jehovah Rapha is first mentioned in Exodus 15. So let's go there. Let's read the story, and then let's unpack it. Exodus 15 Verse 22, and we're going to go right through to the end of the chapter, which is 29, 27, 9, I don't know. Exodus 15. Then Moses made Israel set out from the Red Sea, and they went into the wilderness of Shur. They went three days in the wilderness and found no water. Then they came to Merah, they could, but they could not drink the water of Merah because it was bitter. Therefore, it was named Merah, which means bitter. And the people grumbled against Moses, saying, What shall we drink? And he cried to the Lord, and the Lord showed him a log. And he threw it into the water, and the water became sweet. There the Lord made for them a statute and a rule, and there he tested them, saying, If you will diligently listen to the voice of the Lord your God and do what is right in his eyes and give ear to his commandments and keep all his statutes, 
I will put none of the diseases on you that I put on the Egyptians, for I am the Lord, your healer, Jehovah Rapha. Then they came to Elam, where there were 12 springs of water and 70 palm trees, and they encamped there by the water. So let's go back a little bit and get the setting for this story. Israel had just been freed from 40 years of slavery, right? Uh, and, you know, they went down to Egypt to be saved for time, and then they became enslaved there in Egypt. Moses was enabled as a freedom fighter after sort of his yin and yang, back and forth. He came down there, and Elohim led them out of Egypt by f with fire by day, fire by night, and clouds by day, right? They were rescued with the plagues or the miracles that God brought. They were led by God. He was there every day. They could see him. They had he, God had given them a person in Moses who they could look to, and they were liberated. That's Exodus 12, 13, and 14. At the end of chapter 14, Israel saw the great power that the Lord used against the Egyptians, so the people feared the Lord, they believed in the Lord, and in his servant Moses. You might call that a mountaintop experience. They had been through the Red Sea. They were rescued. They were set free, right? This was an amazing God that they had lost touch with for all of these centuries, right? And now all of a sudden, they're, they're getting to a chance to see who this God is. Their awe had to be amazing, right? As they watched all of this stuff happen and happen and happen, and they're going, guys, this cannot be coincidence, So Moses leads them out into the desert. So actually, the first half of chapter 15, verses 1 to 21, is this amazing song of exaltation. So they went from liberation to exaltation, and they were amazingly impressed. I don't know any other word for it than amazing. Now let's think about it. Based on this timeline, and there might be some days missing, but it won't be many days missing. Three days later, they're desperate. Three days. Three days. Right? But let's remember, they went into the desert. So let's, let's go back here. Moses led Israel out of the, away from the Red Sea, and they went to the wilderness of Shur. They went three days into the wilderness and found no water. By now, their water would at least, at best, be stagnant. At worst, they were out of water. They were desperate. No water. What are we going to do? Two million people, probably, 600,000 men and wives and children and others. Uh, apparently, many e Egyptians came with them. They had left Egypt. They needed water, right? No, 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 no. They needed God. They needed God. Because water was only going to be one of the things they needed in this future with this God. He was going to need to, to deliver them from all kinds of enemies. He was going need to walk them through some difficult times. He was going to need to give them health and care and love and provision. 
And they needed to find out that he was good for that time. So they found water, but it was bitter. Either it was salty or it was stagnant, it was undrinkable, and they, the Bible, uh, the ESV calls it bitter. Which is an interesting word for how they reacted to this undrinkable water. They were in some ways bitter. They grumbled against Moses. What shall we drink? Murmuring and grumbling against Moses. How appropriate was that? Let's go back a week, right? You kind of finish the sentence yourself. You're going, yeah, that's not right. Only thing that's really good is they didn't quite blame God. They at least looked to Moses and blamed him. And that's a good thing. Moses did what was right. He turned to God. And I think the word here, cried to God, is something that we should embrace in our lives. Crying to God. We should turn to him. <laughs> we should, when we've got problems, we should turn to him. That's why the Holy Spirit is the greatest gift of all. He will help us through. He will bring bitter waters to sweet. He will provide organization. He will provide for us. This is the God that we have. So, he cried to the Lord. He turned to God, and the Lord showed him a log. Okay, now what was, in a minute we're, we're going to see that God tested them. What was the test in this? I think the test was, would Moses be willing to be silly enough, allow me to use that, silly as the, like, he'd look downright foolish, right? Was he going to be, look silly enough, foolish enough to everyone, oh, put this log here in the water. I don't think Moses necessarily predicted or understood what was going to happen, but he took the log and he put it in the water. He did what God said he should do. He obeyed. That's critical to the success of our Christian walk. One, we need to turn to God. Two, we need to obey. If he says do something that looks foolish to other people around us, like so be it. Isn't that okay? Don't we worry more about what he thinks than what about the people around us think? We must. So we turn to him. We do what might look foolish in the eyes of others. Why is that? Because it shows our entire dependence on God. It shows we are not trying to do this ourselves. It shows that God is the one who delivers. He's the one who heals. So Moses cried to the Lord. He turned to God. He prayed and listened. God showed him the log. Now, there's very little doubt that the log was symbolic, right? Probably in their context, it was referring back to the very roots of creation to the tree of life. Unbeknownst to them, probably it was forward-looking as well to the cross. And so we have this cross that we can now look back on and we can understand how important that is to the healing of the nations and the healing of the universe. But there is a great battle for all of creation that's going on. And here it is sort of coming together in this one story. So there's the tree of life that was possibly being referred to. There's the healing cross of Calvary that was almost certainly part of this foreshadowing. He threw it in the water, and the water became sweet as living water would. 
he obeyed. The Lord tested them, is what the, the text says. So how, what was he testing? I think he was testing their memory. Yeah. They had short-term memory loss. Like it was gone that they had just been delivered from a 400-year bondage. But they were delivered. Taking them through the Red Sea on dry land. The Egyptian army was completely obliterated in the, or the, the cavalry was obliterated in the Red Sea. He was testing their memory. He was showing them that he is the same God in the bad and the good. I think he was testing their patience. Would they wait, rest, rely on him? Now, they were just getting to know him, so I don't think God was being overly hard on them. You know, they needed to find out who this God was, and this was one of those great lessons. They needed to learn to trust him. So they, he, I think God was testing them to, to say, I'd like you to trust me. I'd like you to understand that I've got this. I think he was testing their faith in God, their faith in Moses. I think he was testing Moses' pride and Moses' self-reliance because Moses might have figured out a whole filtration system to water two million people, right? No, 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 they needed God. I think he was testing and he was asking, will you have gratitude for what I've done? Will you have respect for what I've done? Will you have love for me? Will you need me? It's one of those interesting things about love. You have the freedom to need another person. And as you need them, there's this interdependence that comes together. And that's true on the personal side. It's true on the spiritual side. We need God, and we need him desperately. And if we think we don't because we have a big enough bank account or whatever else it is, just give him a minute. He may empty that to find out how much you need God. Because we need God, and he needs to hear that. So there was a decree that God put out. Here are the, the sort of absolutes of this story. Diligently listen to the voice of the Lord your God. Okay, later this semester, we're going to be talking about listening prayer and the importance of listening to God. That's what this is about. Diligently listen to the voice of the Lord your God. We need to learn about that, don't we? Do that which is right in his eyes. Obey, I've already said that probably twice. Give ear to his commandments. That's to seek truth. Listen, obey, and seek continually. Okay, now when I first read the next one, keep all his statutes. I thought, well, that's kind of repeating, so maybe it's poetic repetition. Maybe, maybe it's actually saying protect and treasure his word so that it is preserved, keep his statutes preserved for those who follow after us. I think it's okay to go both ways on that one. But as we look at that, we go, let's listen diligently for God's voice. Let's listen in prayer. Let's do what is right in his eyes. When he shows us something that might look silly, like a log on the road, let's pick it up and put it in the water, whatever that means. Let's give ear to his commandments and seek his truth. Let's protect and preserve his statutes and then be able to hand them on. If you do these things, God said, I will put 
None of the diseases on you that I put on the Egyptians, for I am the Lord, your healer. See, I think that the Lord, your healer, is kind of where the rubber meets the road in this spiritual battle. It might be one of the front lines. It might be the front line of the spiritual war that's going on, the conflict for creation. It might be. But it's much more than... Um, simple physical healing. This healing, God identifies himself as the Lord, your healer, but it's in the context of healing water, right? Uh, healing is so much more. Healing is, uh, is broad-based. Healing is uh, physical, yes. There have been people who have been healed of barrenness. There have been people healed of s diseases. I had a nerve in my nose it was extremely painful. Um, uh, it was called trigeminal neuralgia. Um, it's an epileptic seizure that goes on in your nose. It had lasted for 15 years. And I remember the first time it, it hit me, um, I was carrying our youngest daughter, Charlotte. She was a baby, and uh, her hair brushed my nose, and I got zapped like 220 volt right onto your nose. And I just about dropped her. I was like, wow, I've got cancer. <laughs> and uh, it took us a, a few months. Elaine actually figured out, find, found it on the internet. It was about 95, 96. And I had these occasional attacks. That means sort of sometimes once a day, sometimes once a week, um, where I'd feel this electric shock. It's set off by, by soft touch. So um, walking down the street, a gust of wind might set it off. Hair from your daughters, you get to keep them away because uh, that hair would set it off. But the most terrorizing time of the day was showers because water, the soft touch of water running over my nose. So I, you know, I went through all kinds of contortions to try and figure out how to get my face clean without washing my nose. Extremely painful. I think uh, Elaine found a, a line on the internet that said it was the most painful condition in the human body. Riveting would be true. 220 volts attached, flip the switch. Ah. But I knew that it would end, and so I w ground through it, and I was taking some drugs for epilepsy to try and shut it down. But it's grand mal seizure epilepsy, that is the medicine I was taking, so my whole system was kind of going... <laughs> and uh, and it, was, it was just tough. So one time I was visiting Nathan and AJ in, in Abbotsford, and... Uh, um, they uh, and, and AJ said, you know, I, I kind of have this thing about healing. Uh, God seems to have given me a gift of healing. I'd like to pray for your nose that God will heal it. I'm going, I'm cool. That's good. You know, it's all good. Let's do it. So she never put oil on, never prayed, uh, never touched me. Just she started praying. I don't know whether it was two or three weeks later that she, uh, that, uh, that I was, um, I got up one morning, and I would take these pills every day to try and maintain the medicine in my system because that was the way you deal with epilepsy. So uh, I got up one morning or, or had a shower or something, and I, I think it's gone away. Now, I was too afraid to stop the medicine, so I cut it in half for a day, and a day later, it's like, I don't feel it twigging there. It's like, it's, it's gone. So the next day, I took the medicine to zero, and since that day, which is now three years ago, I have never taken another pill for that 
you know, for that nerve. Uh, of another one of those pills for this. I took a couple because I had hiccups one time and I thought, well, this will stop the hiccups. <laughs> it did. <laughs> but, you know, the nerve went to sleep. Now, it, it still is a little bit active. Every once in a while, it'll stick its nose up, so to speak. Okay, so why did God take me through this? One, I think, so I could tell this story and bring glory back to him. Two, so I could introduce AJ as a person of great influence in my life and possibly in many of our lives. Three, so that we can turn this back to God and bring glory to him about the way he wants to work every day where a rubber meets the road. It's a great story, isn't it? And it was 15 years, well-documented medical situation, and all of a sudden, it's gone. Well, it kind of pokes up. Why does it still poke up? I'm asking. Well, maybe just so I won't forget to thank God for healing, right? Because I need to be reminded. I need to remember that I crossed the Red Sea. What was that last week? Didn't she do it? Julie did a great job last week, yes? You know, and, and she said, we need to remember those times. And maybe this is what I need to remember, that God healed and he's here alive at work. Life is full of these counterbalances. The, the, the foundation of creation, the creation order was a week of work and a day of Sabbath. These alter egos. We need those alter egos. And as sin entered the earth, entered the world, we, uh, we now have testing, trusting, trials, and triumph. We have bitter and sweet. We have battles and rest. We have bondage and deliverance. Why is that? It's really easy, actually. It's to bring us back to God. It's to glorify Him. That in all of our situations, He can show up and bring healing to learn to trust Him more. A year ago, I um, uh, had a knee injury. I was skiing stupidly, fell. I cranked my, my left knee. I'd had my right knee already operated. I'm like, oh, I don't want to do this. Students in this room prayed, and I have not had knee surgery, and I'm walking fine. Um, but I also watched um, God heal our campus. He, we had a divided campus. We had an expensive campus. We were losing money. I remember one time in the summer when Elaine walked in to our management team with a stack of bills. I don't think I'm exaggerating when I say they were this high that needed to be paid. It was summertime, and we didn't know how to deal with that. So we prayed, and God has given us a turnaround financially. It's just great, right? This is the healing. This is God at work among us. So our diseases may be physical. They may be social. They may be political. You know, this, this verse um, that follows on uh, later in the Old Testament, the dedication of the temple by Solomon in 2 Chronicles 7.14, critical, same message as we've had in Exodus. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven, will forgive their sin, and will heal their land. It might be political. It might, it might be agricultural. It certainly is emotional. Psalm 147, he heals the brokenhearted and binds up their wounds. And it certainly is soul healing. 
Psalm 41, heal my soul, for I have sinned against you. God gave us harmony on this campus like very little I can imagine, and it was our key prayer. We have a Savior who died on a cross to bring us healing that is critical to this conflict for creation. We turn to Jesus on that cross. And it's, I have this idea going in my mind that the more fully we turn to the cross, the more fully he is able to cleanse us. We have a part to play. We have confession. We have repentance. We need to accept forgiveness. And we need to give forgiveness. I like the word pro promiscuously. We need to give forgiveness without keeping account, without, it just recklessly. Give it away. Why? For your own healing. Do yourself a favor, forgive them. Right? Let them off the hook. And gratitude. These are the parts we play. How did Jesus prove to John the Baptist that he was the Messiah? In Matthew 11, John's disciples came to ask Jesus, are you the one? What did Jesus answer? He said, go back and report to John what you hear and see. The blind receive sight. The lame walk. Those who have leprosy are cured. The deaf hear. The dead are raised. The good news is preached to the poor. When Jesus was launching his own uh, um, ministry, in Luke 4, he, uh, he quotes from Isaiah, The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for prisoners, recovery of sight for the blind, to release the oppressed and proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. These are all forms of freedom. These are all forms of release. These are all forms of healing. And that's what he wants for us. I would like to introduce you to AJ, who's going to tell a little bit of her own story and then talk a little bit about what's coming later this semester. AJ Rook. I'm going to, is this work? Oh, here we go. I'm going to tell you the story of how God healed me of depression. My depression was like, a lot of depression was multifactorial. I have a I had a grandfather that was hospitalized for depression. Um, I lived with a parent who was depressed but never acknowledged the depression. So I also learned how to be depressed through it, it being modeled to me. And as well, I believe that the enemy did his best to keep me in bondage to depression. Um, because it's the opposite of what God called me to be. My name is Angela Joy. It means messenger of joy. And I actually now believe that that's a calling, not just a name. And so the enemy has worked very hard to prevent me from walking in my calling. I see the shadow of depression over my whole childhood. And as a young adult, um, it took over more and more of my life. Finally, my boyfriend of four years looked at me and said, you know, when we started dating, I thought that you were such a strong person, but you're not. And I was so broken, I just looked at him and said, you're right, I'm not a strong person. <laughs> and so finally, 
after tolerating my emotional state for a long time, he ended our relationship and it sucked me into a spiral. Um, I just got worse and worse. And finally, I realized that if I didn't fall on my face in front of God, I was gonna die. But praise God, because it says that he's near to the brokenhearted and he is. So he brought people into my life that helped me to get healed. I was fortunate enough to go to a church where we had a culture of praying for people. And there were three people that God sent to me to pray with me. And they listened to me, prayed with me, as I said, and they led me to Jesus. God used their words to chip away at the lies that I believed that were allowing depression to reign in my life. That is the lies that my heart believed. My head had pretty good theology, but my heart didn't believe it. And so, for example, Anne was one of the prayer ministers that would li listen to me talk about all of my problems constantly and then pray for me. And one time she was praying for me and she said, AJ, I believe that your lifelong heart's desire is to be the friend of God. And you haven't believed that God wanted to be your friend as well. And her words bypassed my defenses and went straight to my heart. And they broke the power of a lie that my heart believed, which was that I was rejected by God. So she said the exact words that I needed to hear, but I didn't realize it. And there were lots of examples of God chipping away at the enemy's lies. And I, got, I did get significantly better, but I was still just surviving many days because my healing wasn't finished. And one of the real pivotal points came for me when God encouraged, encouraged me to start helping other people. So I went to see David and Melody. They were the other people that were praying with me. And they prayed for me. And then David said, you know, AJ, I really think that you need to start praying for other people. So I really loved these people. They actually became like my spiritual parents. And so I wanted to sound respectful. So I nodded and acted like I was listening. In my head, I was going, I can barely get out of bed some days. There's no way I'm going to start praying for other people. Like, come on. And soon after that, I went to see Anne, the other prayer minister. And she prayed for me. And guess what? She said the same thing. You know, I just feel like the Holy Spirit is saying that you should start praying for other people. Same thing. I just disregarded her. I thought that was ridiculous. Um, so I worked at Youth for Christ, and um, one day, not long after she had said that, I was um, in the drop-in center, and there were a group of volunteers there. And somebody had invited a woman in to pray for the volunteers. So I really wanted to be around that. I just kept getting... I just felt like I was being pulled towards her. I realize now that I'm an intercessor, and intercessors have this thing that we actually feel pulled, to, pulled like magnets to other intercessors because we're not made to pray by ourselves. We're made to pray with other people. So anyway, she was finished praying, and I um, ended up talking with her and uh, told her a very little bit about my story, and she asked if she could pray for me. And while she was praying, <laughs> she stopped and looked at me and said, like, I had never met this woman before, okay? She said you know what, I really think that you should start praying for other people. <laughs> so I listened that time. And even though I was terrified and insecure, 
I started finding people to pray for. And it was a, one of the big things that healed me. I didn't understand it at the time, but God had given me the gifts of intercession and healing. I wasn't using those gifts at all, but they were mine. And when I began to walk out my identity in Christ, the depression had less power. The reason? Because that was my identity as far as the enemy had decided. And I chose to walk in the identity that God had given me. So it's been almost 20 years since that happened. And I can honestly say that I am not the same person. God really has healed me. I'm often serious, sometimes anxious, but my outlook is so different. I've never gone back to that pit. I've never needed to be on antidepressants again. And even when it's been hard, I have had hope in an amazingly loving father. So some of you are living with things that you've learned or decided to accept because you didn't think it was going to change. And I want to tell you that there's so much hope. If you have never heard one testimony of God healing somebody, you just have to pick up your Bible to see a God who brings freedom to people. And so I and a group of other people who love to pray are going to start offering prayer ministry on this campus um, for anyone, not just students. Um, so it's going, we're going to start praying with people at the beginning of next, the very beginning of next term. So there's going to be a, starting tomorrow, there's going to be a sign-up sheet at the reception desk in the atrium, and you can sign up your name for a time to receive prayer, and when you come to receive prayer, there'll be two people, members of the prayer team to pray with you, and it will be confidential. It is not counseling. We're not counselors. We're not there to give you advice. We want to take whatever it is you want to be prayed about, want prayer about, and go to God with you. So if you want prayer because you have a sprained ankle or because you have a kidney that's not, maybe your right kidney is not working properly, um, or because you have someone you can't forgive, or because you have an addiction that you need prayer for, we want to pray for you for that. So I encourage you to ask God if there's something that you need prayer for and come and get prayer. And let me pray for you. Thank you, Jehovah Rapha. You are so much better to us than we can ever imagine. We cannot even invent the things that you have for us in our wildest dreams. I pray, Lord, that you would bring healing to this campus in a way that we have never seen it in the history of Prairie Bible College. And I pray that that healing would actually result in real change in us so that we can go and love other people with your healing. Thank you, Lord. Amen. <laughs>